the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, March 8th, 2023. The phone number is 602-508-0960. David Dahl is producing today. Thank you, David. I should like to talk with you all a bit today about the notion of tolerance. Some of this comes out of the discussion with Hugh Hallman yesterday about the Washington Elementary School Board decision to cancel the student-teacher relationship with Arizona Christian University because the school board does not want teachers who attend a college committed in its mission statement to, the, what, to what the college calls, quote, biblically informed values that are foundational to Western civilization, close quote. This canceling all led by new Washington school board member Tamilia Valenzuela, who describes herself as, quote, a bilingual, disabled, neurodivergent, queer, black, Latina, close quote. Before we get to the notion of tolerance, do understand that phrase, biblically informed values. It can and does mean a great deal. And I wonder if the Washington Elementary School Board decision is trying to remove all biblically informed values or just the ones they don't like. After all, the prohibition on murder and theft are biblically informed values, are they not? Not abusing children is a biblical value, is it not? The song, Teach Your Children Well by Crosby, Stills, and Nash is based on Proverbs 22, is it not? Turn, Turn, Turn by Pete Seeger and performed famously by the birds comes from Ecclesiastes, does it not? By the way, I would also offer that Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Seeger are about as progressive as it gets, are they not? Someone may want to look at Shelter from the Storm by Bob Dylan while we're at it. But also the notion, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. That one is particularly interesting to me, for it seems to me it would be the very reason many committed believers would actually not import their religious viewpoints into forums of non-parochial learning, like a public school? What of loving your neighbor as yourself, or for that matter, what is written in John 7, not to judge by appearances? Are all these to be dispensed with? After all, they are very much biblically informed values. In fact, they all come straight from the Bible. As for Western civilization, well, I should have hoped by now the whole idea of free debate in elections, as well as the Concepts of majority rule would not be dispensed with. For how would you even have a school board or a school or laws on education requirements or child labor? Seems the decision to remove teachers because they attend a college missionized to inculcate these values is the opposite of progress, but is rather reactionary. I mean, this is a country whose first political institution is religion and for a reason. I didn't say that, by the way. Alexis de Tocqueville did in Democracy in America. I could try to say this, quote, We are a religious people whose institutions presuppose a supreme being. We guarantee the freedom to worship as one chooses. We make room for as wide a variety of beliefs and creeds as the spiritual needs of man deem necessary. 
We sponsor an attitude on the part of government that shows no partiality to any one group and that lets each flourish according to the zeal of its adherents and the appeal of its dogma, close quote. I could try and say that, except I can't claim that quote because it was written into a Supreme Court decision by perhaps the most liberal member of the Supreme Court in history, William O. Douglas, in a case about education and public schools. Oh, and for what it's worth, in 11 years of having teachers from Arizona Christian University, there is not one speck of evidence of any of their teachers even sharing zeal or dogma in the classrooms. What we do have today from the Washington Elementary School Board is an abandonment of the idea of a wide variety of beliefs. And what we do have today from the Washington Elementary School Board is a partiality to dogma. Which gets me to this whole idea of toleration. For it is in the name of toleration that this anti-Christian and anti-Western civilization bigotry is taking place. First, by denying that Christians or those who may not even be Christians but attend a Christian school can separate their rendering to God and civil societies as instructed, legal and appropriate. And second, by cherry-picking what Christian values and parts of Western civilization may or may not, should or should not, apply. Third, by wholesale discriminating against adherence to biblical beliefs by claiming the mantle of toleration while labeling those believers intolerant, even as their faith instructs, as pointed above, on the importance of toleration, not to mention the care and nurture of children, which presumably something calling itself an elementary school board should care about. To paraphrase something Harry Jaffa once wrote, what we are witnessing here is akin to intolerance rather than to tolerance. Liberal relativism has its roots in the natural right tradition or in the notion that everyone has a natural right to the pursuit of happiness as he understands happiness. But in denying the very foundations from whence those ideas come, the elementary school board has itself become a seminary of intolerance. Helpfully, our friend Professor Richard Samuelson just wrote a piece on tolerations, perversions. In it, he writes, today's version of tolerance, quote, affirms certain doctrines and groups that present themselves in opposition to the old ways. Hence, Christians and traditional Jews and Muslims, for that matter, have moral beliefs that are themselves intolerant according to our governing institutions. Thus, toleration entails progress toward an America where those groups shed such beliefs, and do so in the name of toleration. Close quote. The result, he writes, is that we are in danger of embracing a norm of forced association, speech, and performance, the very things that point us back to the wars of the Reformation. From the perspective of our official and modern civil rights ideology, there ought to be no escape for insular minorities by creating smaller, closely held business or educational institutions. The trouble is that forced actions like forced speech, are tyrannical. Something there Professor Samuelson wrote has me curious. You think the Washington Elementary School Board would refuse to hire teachers from, say, Zaytuna College, whose mission calls for education in the tradition of Islamic scholarship? Would a head or face-covered Muslim female teacher be allowed to teach in a public school under their new doctrine, or for that matter, a female teacher from such a college who is not covered, according to this new dispensation from the Washington Elementary School Board? Meaning no impertinence here, it should seem obvious to most that there can be an awful lot of Islamic teachings, certainly every country governed by Islamic majorities or laws testifies to this, 
that can be awfully intolerant toward a bilingual, disabled, neurodivergent, queer, black, Latina, as Valenzuela says she is, and is concerned about in the hiring of teachers from a Christian college. At the end of the day, there's a word for what the Washington Elementary School Board did, and with no record of discrimination in 11 years of hiring teachers from Arizona Christian. That word is prejudice, prejudging. There's another word, unconstitutional. There's yet a third word, intolerant. I've I've quoted quite a few traditional sources in the foregoing, respected ones at that, I should think, almost all in the education context. Let me end with one more from Supreme Court Justice Robert Jackson in another Supreme Court case having to do with education. If there is any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it is that no official, high or petty, can prescribe what shall be orthodox in matters of politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion, or force citizens to confess by word their faith therein. Close quote. Guess what? School board members are officials, too. Today, when it comes to the Washington Elementary School Board in Glendale, Arizona, they make themselves look petty. That's what's going on here, folks. And that's why the schools are the ground wars for not just our cultural battles, but increasingly our constitutional and freedom of speech and freedom of religion battles as well. We have indeed reached the point in progressive education where adults are asking children to sacrifice on their playgrounds and in their classrooms to soothe the anxieties and to soothe and answer the political disputes of adults. It's an awful thing to do. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's a bad lesson, too. I'm Seth Leapson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, David. Welcome back. You uh, you attended a uh, a college that uh, had uh, certain uh, mission statements about uh, Christian values or religious values. What percentage uh, of a student body do you think adheres to all of those values as the founders of that school? Uh, would have hoped. Uh, do you think that's a big, a large percentage of the students? Hopefully, one would think, I suppose, but I can't. I can't imagine that that every student at every college abides by the mission statement of that college, or at least represents the college the way the college would want it to be represented in public. Best guess, probably more than fifty percent at your school because it it does inculcate that well. But what percentage would you guess of students at your school represent the values that the, the founders had in mind? Yeah, I, I'm sure it is, but you take the point. Do you think? Uh, do you think uh, Dennis Prager represented the values of Columbia University? Do you think William Buckley represented the values of Yale? Indeed, not. He wrote a book on it uh, on why his values were better <laughs> yeah. than Yale's values. God and Man at Yale. It was his first book, was it not? 
uh, we can play this game all day long. Uh, you think uh, you think the schools in Claremont or the schools I went to want me to, um, to say I, I represented what they said? In fact, we have professors who come on this show often who say they have to make it clear they do not represent the values or at least are not spokesmen for and on behalf of those schools and universities. All right, just uh, just one other ancillary point to all of this. Uh, here's how you do it, someone said, and someone said it rightly. Uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, uh, held a press conference today talking about all the uh, book banning that he supposedly was engaging in. And it was such a doozy. <laughs> it was a great press conference. Um, the cameras uh, cut the feed when they started showing a video of the books and what was in them that they were banned, uh, that were canceled, that were removed from the curriculum, from the classrooms. When not even the news coverage can handle the content of what Ron DeSantis was showing was in the Florida schools, when the TV crews have to shut down because the content of those books is too graphic, one kind of understands if the point isn't being made by implication that even in the middle of the morning during a press conference, if the books are unsafe for television cameras, maybe they're unsafe for five- and six-year-olds, too. His office also put out a myths versus facts, which is great. I can't imagine that it'll get much play with those who have been criticizing him as the new modern-day Anthony Comstock, but um, it's important that he does this. Uh, the myth that Florida schools have been directed to empty libraries and cover classroom books is myth one. The fact is school districts are required to report the number of books removed from schools based on legislation passed in 2022. Of the 22 districts that reported removing materials, the most removed were tied at 19 in Duval and Johnson counties. Of the 175 books removed across the state, 164 of them, which would be 94%, were removed from media centers, and 87% were identified as pornographic, violent, or inappropriate for the grade level. Remember when that used to be an important issue? Age-appropriate content? Such an important issue that Bill Clinton made it a part of his State of the Union speech in 1996 when he was arguing for the V-chip. Such an important issue that almost every educator across the board, from liberal to conservative, had something important to say in defending age-appropriate material up until about 2017. Uh, another myth that you've heard propagated and that the ladies of The View and Karen Jean-Pierre and Kamala, per Kamala uh, Harris uh, like to talk about is that Florida is banning children's books about such people as Hank Aaron and Roberto Clemente. False and false again. Books found by parents in, in Florida public schools that have been removed include books like Gender Queer, a memoir, which is an explicit pornographic book showing sexual acts. A book called Flamer, a graphic book about young boys performing sexual acts at a summer camp. A book called The Book is Gay, which is a book containing instruction on the ins and outs of gay sex. A book called Let's Talk About It, 
that contains graphic depictions about how to, well, I don't even want to finish the sentence. But when the TV cameras have to cut away, not because they disagree with what's being said, but because they can't stomach the content that would be viewed by an adult viewing audience, you have to imagine now what it would mean to have those available for five- and six-year-olds. We don't do that here. We don't do that here. And if that's some kind of old or old-fashioned value that Ron DeSantis is trying to bring back, we could use a little old and old-fashioned values. As I say, these were not really questioned. These were not values that were questioned up until about 2017. For a lot of reasons, 2017 was a pivotal year and a changing year for this kind of stuff. And that is really how you end childhood. That is really the disappearance of childhood. It begins with age-inappropriate material and content. It's at once forcing children to grow up too fast and be exposed to adult themes too early in their maturation process. And on the other hand, it can equally be said the reverse side of the coin, the infantilization of young adults as well. We adults are doing none of our children any favor by playing off either side of the coin, which is why there is a revolution going on in education, a revolution towards homeschooling, a revolution towards charter schools, a revolution towards pod schools, a revolution towards just teaching children. It shouldn't be that controversial. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson show. In the state of this union, uh, in this in his state of the union speech last month, Joe Biden doubled down on his spending plans, adding even more to the federal deficit, and that doesn't bode well the value of your money. Joe Biden's disconnected view of the economy means there will be no meaningful steps taken to lessen inflation and lower interest rates. Your cash reserves and investments will be worth less, which is why I recommend calling the veteran-owned. Midas Gold Group, to look into safeguarding your money with the stability of gold with the only precious metals dealer, Seb Gorka, I and thousands of you know and trust, the Midas Gold Group. Gold traditionally holds its values when economies fail, guarding against the destruction of inflation and the ruin of a recession. So don't let Joe Biden's misguided economy wipe you out. Wipe you out. Talk with the good folks at Midas Gold Group. Log on to MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com, or better yet, call them at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Just yesterday, you may recall in my monologue, I was talking about the can't we all live with, not the C-A-N apostrophe T, not the cannot, not the contraction for cannot, but uh, the word can't, which is... uh, Uh, pretentious and insincere talk or chatter. And it's being used, as I said, to bring about the elaborate demonstration of the non-obvious by the use of language and methodology that is obscuritanist. And we see this happen all around us. What words are in vogue? What words are out of vogue? What words can be used? What words cannot be used? Politico has for some time now, 
as a news website uh, become a liberal organ. It was founded, interestingly enough, by expats from the Washington Post, expatriates from the Washington Post, who tended to be just a little bit more moderate, a little bit more conservative. Not conservative, but a little bit more conservative. And, uh, of course, following the John O'Sullivan rule, it has now become an outpost of uh, leftism. They uh, they have a new style guide over at uh, Politico of banned words, words you cannot use in writing for Politico or words that they will publish. Mankind, man-made, man-hunt. Get the, get the impression that there really is a war against boys, a war against manhood. You get the impression there might be something actually behind the idea that people should be ashamed of their sex. Can't say crack the whip. You can't say waiter or waitress. You have to use the word server instead. Uh, Phrases biological gender, biological sex, biological woman, biological female, biological man, or biological male cannot be used. Illegal immigrant or illegal alien cannot be used, which means you, I suppose, cannot cite to the United States Federal Code, which uses those words. Do you know cakewalk can't be used? In reference to illegal immigrant, excuse me, in reference to illegal migration, because I'm reading from the um, the political style guide, in reference to illegal migration, onslaught, tidal wave, flood, inundation, surge, invasion, army, march, sneak, and stealth can't be used. Anchor baby can't be used. Chain migration cannot be used. Peanut gallery cannot be used. Third world country cannot be used. I suppose if you are a news outlet and you forbid the use of phraseology like onslaught, tidal wave, flood, inundation, surge, invasion, army, march, sneak, and stealth, you can't really blame the American people, for not knowing what is going on at our border. You can't really blame them for not understanding the flood, the inundation, the surge, the tidal wave. You can't really blame them for not understanding that when the newspapers across America forbid themselves to tell you that by using those very words. It's interesting what they do want five-year-olds to see in Florida, but they won't allow adults to read in adult should say, mature newspapers and magazines. And funny enough, isn't it, that that Washington Post I just referenced at the beginning of this segment's motto is democracy dies in darkness. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth Liebson. Brett Johnson is a partner at the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, based here in Phoenix, with offices around um, the country. He is our constitutional law and elections law expert. Brett, happy Wednesday to you. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. Happy Wednesday, um, Brett. This kind of this this story. It's I, I've seen it referenced everywhere, and I'm not sure I understand the full import of it. Which I'm guessing means others may share that as well. The State Attorney General Chris Mays 
is filing a lawsuit against Cochise County. Can you talk to us about this? Why? What's what's it? What's that issue here, and why is it important? Yeah, well, obviously it's important when you get the solicitor general and the deputy solicitor yeah. general on top bill. I yeah. mean, that's not uh, that's not necessarily normal when you come down to the lowly trial courts where we dwell once in a while. Um, <laughs> where so, you slum? <laughs> where we slum, that's right. Um, but but this, is, this complaint is basically brought by the Attorney General, Chris Mays, um, against Cochise County here in Arizona, and, then, um, and basically arguing that the Board of Supervisors in that county has delegated its authority to basically supervise and control elections to the county recorder. And as a way of background, it, a lot of people don't really understand this because they see an elections director or they see a, ca- a county recorder and definitely many states' county recorders or judges in, California, or in Texas, by the way. You always have judges in charge of elections in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you see is like, well, what is a board of supervisors? Well, in Arizona, that they under law and underneath the Constitution, is that the board is responsible for conducting um, elections. They're the ones who have to canvass and certify at the end, and they're responsible for managing the elections. They usually hire an elections director, but the county recorder is normally responsible for voter registration um, underneath their responsibilities. But it's not unusual, especially in small counties where people wear multiple hats to take care of governmental functions, and they do that by what's called an intergovernmental agreement. It's basically between two different agencies and saying, hey, listen, let's save costs. You do this on our behalf and on our direction. And we will um, compensate, you know, you or or take care of of uh, any kind of consideration that's at issue, and that's basically what happened here in Cochise County. The the attorney general is saying, well, no, that's a, an illegal contract because the board of supervisor is delegating their responsibility to the county recorder. So that's that's the bottom line as to what the gist is, and that the, the board of supervisors did not have the authority to do it, and the county recorder didn't have the authority to accept those responsibilities. Now, one of the things I read about, I think, somewhere in one of these stories was that one of the county supervisors wanted to go forward with this plan, saying she wasn't sure if it was legal, but that they could negotiate it with the attorney general. They just didn't want to delay implementation of the plan. How often do you see something like that where you where you try and negotiate an issue or I guess maybe. I would want to use a phrase advisory opinion somewhere in here, but that would come before the case maybe or before the fact. It, it, it could, right? It definitely, it definitely should. Now that it's in litigation, um, the attorney general won't issue an opinion on its own case, yeah, right? right? But that's that's what could have happened is that a legislator from um, the, the Cochise County um, could have petitioned the attorney general for an opinion as to whether or not the board of supervisor uh, board of supervisors could do what it did here. They decided because of um, exigent circumstances and the importance of making sure the 2024 election goes off without a hitch. That they needed to initiate this now and then would negotiate with the attorney general within the confines of Arizona law, Mm -hmm. as well as an election procedures manual, which we have here in Arizona, to to ensure that everything was been done. And that's actually what the agreement actually says. I mean, the agreement specifically says 
that it does not intend to be giving any authorities that is not authorized under law, and the recorder has to come back to the Board of Supervisors um, to get basically direction and permission to do things. So it, it's, don't get me wrong, it's a very short agreement in, in IGA world because that's where, you know, the governments do a lot of their work. IGA it's, it's, is... Oh, intergovernmental agreement, I apologize. You. Yes, yep. Yeah, no problem. Um, it's, it's, it's a very short agreement. I'll give, I'll give um, you know, credit for that for sure, but it, it does actually have the bells and whistles. So what we've talked about before on the show is the concept of non-delegation. I was just you going there, give, yep. mm-hmm. Right, you can't give up your authority to somebody else, but the statutes that the Attorney General is referencing is basically somebody taking those authorities. So, for example, you didn't win sheriff, and you show up on the first day of work, and you say, you know what, I didn't win, but I'm now the sheriff. <laughs> And, and everybody starts following that person's orders. Yeah. That would be more appropriate for the claims that the attorney general has brought versus this type of normal intergovernmental agreement um, for an effective uh, use of, of um, election resources. Um, you so think it's a, you the, think it's a little bit of a reach by the AG to to be, I, I do, and, and some of the language used is not language we would normally use mm-hmm. in, in a complaint. It's mm-hmm. kind of you know more for uh, public relations purposes, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But that's my personal opinion, of course. And yep. they um, they they it's going to be interesting because the problem is is that we are 15 counties here in, in the state of Arizona, and there are several intergovernmental agreements, including in Maricopa County, which has made news um, that between the board of supervisors, the recorder, and the elections director. And so all of this is going to be underneath scrutiny as to who's doing what in regard to elections. Okay, so the parties, uh, Cochise County in this case, or the state attorney general on the other side of this lawsuit, who's bringing the lawsuit, this is going to a trial court. And uh, how strong how strong a fight and pushback do you think Cochise County. I mean, if they lose, do you think this is going to be appealed upwards? Is this a strong position of Cochise County? Because it just didn't sound like it was from that one supervisor, but I know there's only, what, two or three, right? Yeah, and what I think is going to be the bigger issue is is whether it's kind of like a local control, which is always okay. interesting, yeah. because depending right. on which side of the of the bench you sit on, you, you want local control, but you don't want local yeah. control. And, and in this context, the county is going to be able to, hey, we, we should be able to run our county the way we want to run it um, underneath the Arizona Constitution. So that kind of um, authority of the county and what it's able to do is something they may want to take up. I think that if um, another drafter would, would get into this agreement and um, and deal with it, I, I think both parties would uh, would probably solve their problems. So it'll be yet to be seen um, as to as to what the judge, how the judge wants to handle this, and, and easily, which has happened multiple times, the judge appoints us, uh, you know, a, a basically a mediator and tries to work this out amongst the parties because it's never really good when the governmental branches are, are fighting each other over uh, administration issues. And odd that, as you pointed out at the very beginning, the AG's office is coming in with the heaviest of hands they have. Right? The, yeah, the, big, the biggest guns they got, yeah. the, uh, the Solicitor General. That's The Solicitor General, just for people who don't know, that's usually who uh, um, appears at the U.S. Supreme yeah. Court or yeah. the Arizona Supreme yeah. Court. So the fact that the, the Solicitor General is appearing, appearing in Cochise County. Going after um, little old case. Cochise County, yeah. yeah. Taking yeah. a cannonball to a fly. 
so to speak. <laughs> I'm meaning no disrespect uh, to the flies. All right, Brad, John, I'm in a little trouble there. Let me stipulate that was me who said that, not Brad. That was, that was my bad. I apologize. Brett Johnson from Snell & Wilmer, SWLaw.com, their website. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. You betcha. I am Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. A lot of you have heard me talking about why refi for some time now, and if you still have some questions about what it could mean for you to invest with them, they uh, urge you to give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34, because they want to put you in touch. They happily will put you in touch with any number of their very satisfied clients and customers who have been investing with them and doing very well. They'd like me to ask you how your IRA is doing as well. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax deferred? That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA. You don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y dot com, or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34. The category of this is why we can't have nice things, people who complain about how divided we are, I would say 60%, maybe higher, but at least 60 to 70% of those who complain about how divided our politics has become tends to come from the, um, the port side, the liberal side of the political spectrum. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. Feel free to let me know if you disagree. The majority of those complaints comes from that side. And it's, in some degrees, a crocodile tear to me because they are the ones who are doing the dividing. And they are doing the dividing under the rubric and under the theory that we should all be of one opinion here, theirs. This is what we call opinion hierarchy. Uh, New York Magazine art critic Jerry Saltz wrote on his social media page uh, yesterday, if you know anyone who voted Republican, I'm quoting directly, if you know anyone who voted Republican, including friends and families, you should shun them. No need to even tell them that you are no longer communicating with them or why. You owe it to yourself, to them, your country, and any idea of moral damage. And yes, they want to bring back lynching. Uh, his wife is an editor, for what it's worth, over at the New York Times. Uh, shun family and friends who have a different political belief than you do. And they're complaining about dividing. I get it. They don't like division because they want a uniparty here. They want one unified political belief system in America. They do not believe in the legitimacy of two viewpoints, of two parties. That's why they engage in censorship. That's why they engage in shaming. And that's why they say that the Republican Party is the party of lynching. Give me an example, please. Give me an example, as opposed to the real examples of where lynching came from. I'm Seth Liebson. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.